New Zealand relies heavily on its primary industries, its farms, orchards, forests and fisheries. What comes off the land and from the sea amounts to over 70% of this country's total export earnings. But it's constantly under threat from pests and diseases that could breach biosecurity defences. This Radio New Zealand Insight programme asks if enough is being done. An attempt to control the spread of the deadly Varroa honey bee mite in the South Island is being abandoned by MAF Biosecurity. The potato industry has appointed an advisor to coordinate the sector's response to a destructive pest that's already cost it $47 million. Today, Jim Quinn confirmed a consignment of hardwood sleepers from Peru tested positive for two types of fungus not found in New Zealand. Kiwifruit Vine Health is asking florists not to use kiwifruit plant material in floral bouquets because it raises the risk of spreading the vine-killing disease PSAV. The organization... New Zealand may be an island nation a long way from anywhere, but that doesn't protect it from biosecurity threats as kiwifruit grows know only too well. Here is our ground zero of our first infection and you know, I, was really, I was really lucky to find it and um, I was just watching the guys um, who were doing some work in here and I happened to see a cane that, that wasn't tied down and so I tied it you know, tied it down and a little uh, shoot that was withered caught, caught my eye. Ended up finding one bud with some red exudate on it on another cane. Philippa Wright on her katikati kiwifruit orchard, which has been affected by the incursion of the vine bacteria PSA. You know, it's quite surreal when you, when you found it. Um, you know, we've been expecting it and expecting it and, and to, finally, finally, to finally find it, I mean, it's... I mean, it's a little bit of a shock. I was sort of walking around in a daze for the rest of Friday, and you know we had the we had our workers in here. They started at eight o'clock, and at nine nine thirty, I I said you've got to go home. Nearly sixteen hundred kiwifruit orchards now have PSA, and the number is growing. That's fifty six percent of the country's kiwifruit growing land. This follows earlier incursions such as the varroa mite, which has affected beehives, and the destructive pest, the tomato potato psyllid, and the algal bloom didymo. Critical voices say the systems in place aren't strong enough, but the authorities say they're doing everything practically possible. I'm Andrew McRae, and this insight looks at how vulnerable New Zealand now is to biosecurity threats. The jury is still out on just how PSA got into this country, though it appears it's likely it came in on pollen imports. But the fact that it did get in is the primary sector concerned. Up to 700,000 shipping containers cross New Zealand's borders every year, along with 50 million mail items and 5 million passengers who arrive mainly by air. If you just take this through to lane number four, which is just around behind those benches there, thanks. All containers coming in are checked for unwanted pests wanting free passage but it's deemed impossible to check all other cargo and every passenger. This question here, any outdoor items such as hiking boots, tents? Um, no. That's, is that no, is it? No, it is. Okay. Roger Smith heads the Ministry for Primary Industries Biosecurity team. He believes it's totally unrealistic to inspect everything coming in. It is physically impossible for, for, for any country with any amount of resources to, to, to look at everything. Our focus is on identifying the real risk, and then putting our people there to do that. And so said through the passenger pathway, we have identified that Australian and New Zealand passport holders are nine times less likely to carry high-risk items. So that would surely, uh, surely indicate that then we would take our resources and put them with the passengers that we know are high-risk. 
and let our officers look at those passengers that do present a risk to New Zealand, a real risk to New Zealand. Roger Smith says major developments in the use of technology to detect invasive species has improved and more use is made of scientists who are able to analyse the risks. He says he does understand the passion and fear both the industry and the public have over possible biosecurity breaches. But a lot of it is, is based on a lack of knowledge of how the system works. You know, our system is based on science, it's based on data, it's based on putting our resources where they need to be. We're, we're confident that we have a world-class biosecurity system, but we also understand that we have to, to manage that and improve that and look at ways of continuing to do that every day. So we are changing the way we manage biosecurity. Basically, I think we could say over time we might have had too much resource and, too, and resources meaning people in some areas where they weren't the most effective uh, use of our resources and now we're rebalancing the books and just putting our people where they need to be. So we are trying to put our, the right people in the right place at the right time. New Zealand's horticulture industry alone is worth $5.5 billion, 2.5 of that in exports. The president of Horticulture New Zealand, Andrew Fenton, who's also a kiwifruit grower, says threats such as PSA and the recent scare over the discovery of a single Queensland fruit fly in Auckland make growers extremely nervous. Biosecurity is, is the single biggest uh, risk factor for growers. Uh, they're very well aware that an incursion of the border uh, could put their livelihood at risk. You know, risk management, uh, border security and the whole biosecurity uh, program is absolutely vital to growers and, and the industry in general. Andrew Fenton says growers have enough worries without the threat of biosecurity incursions hanging over them. They know the risks of farming. We know that uh, you know, we could get a hailstorm any time during the year. We know we can get a frost. We've already had a frost in the last couple of weeks that's done some damage. Um, we know we can, we can have uh, conditions or, or a storm that will batter the hell out of our crops um, and, and make them unsaleable. But you know, we know that. That's a risk, and we manage for that. Manage for that. What we've got here with biosecurity is, is a, a risk that we as growers are having difficulty managing. And it's not just fruit that's susceptible to pests and diseases. New Zealand's forestry and livestock industries could also be devastated if illnesses and insects common in other countries manage to become established here. A prime example is foot and mouth disease. The dairy industry and meat exports are together worth over $20 billion in export earnings and an outbreak of the disease could be catastrophic. Owen Greenan is from Ireland and now lives in Waikato and share milks on a farm at Eureka. He was in the United Kingdom in 2001 when foot and mouth struck there. The ironic thing is for a disease that doesn't cause any harm to humans but it's the economic or the, the damage to, to the trade and to the export uh, market is huge and puts normal day life on its head. So, yeah, definitely, I suppose it's a, t it's a ticking time bomb in New Zealand and maybe people don't realise how consequential it'll be until it, it, it happens. I mean, I don't like comparing it with the earthquake in Christchurch, but, you know, people maybe were, were never prepared for it and, OK, there, wasn't, there wouldn't be human loss in a foot-and-mouth uh, outbreak, but it'd be similar sort of the consequences would be probably tenfold in what you might actually originally think it would be. I mean, when people look at foot and mouth, they think of, of you know, the consequence of slaughtering the animals, but there's huge um, social costs as well. A lot of English farmers, you know, maybe at a later stage of life just decided not to go back into the industry. So that was, you know, so there was, there was the flow-on effect there.
It's stories like that that send shivers up the spine of every dairy farmer in the land. But is enough being done to prevent unwanted arrivals of pests and diseases? The Vice President of Federated Farmers, Dr William Ralston, says it's impossible to reduce the chance of biosecurity incursions down to zero, but he regards the likelihood of such an outbreak as more fanciful than realistic. We can get zero risk by um, closing all our borders and not letting anything in and out. And, and I guess actually even then um, you know, things could blow over from, from Australia. So perhaps our, even then we couldn't be 100% uh, uh, secure. So there is always risk. And, and I think it's a, it's a, you know, we recognise that it's a hard job for the ministry to, to balance that risk and to um, uh, reduce that risk as much as possible um, with the resources that a country the size of New Zealand has. William Rolston says it's a matter of deploying the resources available in the most cost-effective way. He compares biosecurity with insurance. You spend so much on insurance, but you know if you double the insurance, do you the insurance do you um, reduce your risk uh, by half? And uh, at the end of the day, there is a there's a, a point where you're not getting value for the money that you're putting in. So. That's always a balance, and that's a balance that both industry and government have to really try and deal with. And, and there will always be discussions about that. But the immediate past president of the Agricultural and Horticultural Science Institute, John Lancashire, believes New Zealand has gone soft on biosecurity. There's a thing called uh, the precautionary principle, which seems to have been disappeared from the MPI's, ra- MPI's radar, which basically says if there's any risk at all, then you don't import. Um, but they seem to be... Using a term now, a slight risk. I mean, the problem is that there are just just not not many issues, but the ministry just refuses to answer them. I mean, they've had a couple of uh, you know staff members who've resigned who've expressed their concerns about the um, uh, shortcuts being taken, specifically a much greater reliance on um, the guarantees apparently that we get from overseas sources, which in you know in generally proved to be, um, quite a lot of those are pretty dodgy from some countries. There's tremendous pressure, you know, to speed things up through the airports. Our airports authorities pretty uh, proud of the fact that we're moving things a lot faster than Australia. Well, you've got to ask yourself, does, is that at the risk of greater biosecurity um, incursions? However, the Ministry for Primary Industries dismisses claims it's changed its policy. In 2009, the then Ministry of Agriculture axed 30 positions in its biosecurity division and withdrew another 30 vacancies and cutbacks to save money. At the time, it concerned the Public Service Association National Secretary, Richard Wagstaff. It, it seems to us that um, there will be uh, a less capability on the, on, on the biosecurity front in terms of the public service, and you know that, that's got to be a concern. In response to a question in Parliament in May this year, the Minister for Primary Industries, David Carter, released figures showing the number of full-time equivalent biosecurity positions throughout the country was 387, down from 478 at the end of 2008. That's a drop of 20%. And in figures supplied by the Ministry, there were 404 frontline staff in 2009, dropping to 384 at the end of June this year. Andrew Coleman is the Ministry's Deputy Director-General, responsible for compliance and response, and the person in charge of those dealing with pests and diseases once they get in. What we've actually done is, you know, we may not be using the word of precautionary principle anymore, but what we are pushing for is to be much more anticipative about the events that can occur for New Zealand uh, and to prepare things in advance so that 
yes, we do get incursions. I mean, there's no perfect system, so we will get incursions, whether they be pest or disease or organism incursions. So what we're saying is we need to anticipate those and put things in place so that in the event that we do get them, uh, we're able to very, very quickly respond. Uh, and that's not just the ministry responding, that's the industry sectors, the farmers and growers of New Zealand uh, and the wider communities of New Zealand all knowing what part they potentially can play in the response. Didymo, PSA and the Psyllid Insect look like they're here to stay and the battle is on to try and contain them. The same goes for the Varroa bee mite, now in all parts of New Zealand bar the Chatham Islands. The Beekeepers Association says a South Island control line to stop Varroa infestations is now a complete waste of time. Richard Andrew Coleman says despite perceptions among some that more pests and diseases are getting in, the figures indicate a different story. For example, in 2007, uh, there were 82 pest disease or organisms incursions that we had to respond to. So if you use that as the base, you know, back into 2007, 2011, last year, there were 79. So uh, it's wrong to say that there seems to be an increase. Um, it is a normal static number of around 70, late 70s, 80s of what are incursions. Um, they are just a subset of the things that we deal with um, because we get about 16,000 notifications a year uh, of a pest or disease or organism concern. A sound common in kiwifruit orchards is growers cut out vines infected by PSA. A review carried out by the consulting firm Superior Research Group into the Ministry for Primary Industries' handling of PSA was critical of the Ministry and outlined a number of shortcomings and systemic failures. The Ministry says it will implement recommendations in the report. John Lancashire says the review highlighted a level of incompetence and changes now are too late to help the kiwifruit industry. It, it says, for example, the Ministry should have moved faster to stop vine imports. Well, that's history now. The Australians actually stopped vine, uh, plant imports as soon as they knew that the, this disease was rampant in the key countries around the world, particularly Italy. So we're a bit slow there, but it's too late now. The other really important thing, I think, is that there's been tremendous pressure from MAF and now the new ministry on a couple of industries to free up imports. The uh, pork industry's been on the end of that. They've spent $1.5 million taking us through the courts over five years. It's now at the Court of Appeal. But their feeling is that there's a considerable risk of a disease called PERS, it's a porcine respiratory disease, a very devastating disease on pigs. There is a serious risk of that getting into the country if they relax these import restrictions. So we've got two things here. We've got some deficiencies in the actual current system, but then we've got actual government policy to free up imports and put our biosecurity at risk. And this seems to many people to be exact, completely the result of this hard drive for um, free trade um, agreements. Andrew Coleman from the Ministry says the combination of New Zealand being a trading nation and also reliant on primary exports poses a real dilemma, particularly because of the country's isolation. New Zealanders are prone to travel. Uh, we get lots of tourists here. We get lots of trade uh, exports and imports here. Uh, so it's too simplistic to say, you know, find the problem and then just ban it because, you know, those, those are called trade sanctions. And New Zealand um, is involved in international... Uh, conventions and treaties where those things don't happen here. So we have to set up other models, which is why we keep imploring 
people that it's the system itself made up of many, many parts that's critical to managing pest disease and organism incursions. He says if the risk of importing something was just too great, then they can ban it. It's certainly a case-by-case basis, and there'd be no reason why uh, we couldn't do those, but we just have to understand the consequences of making decisions like that. Uh, There will be international scrutiny. Uh, We could well be held accountable internationally for those decisions. Barry O'Neill has the task of heading the response to the kiwifruit vine disease PSA. He says even though there is circumstantial evidence the disease got in on imported pollen, the actual answer may never be known. Barry O'Neill says the report detailing shortcomings in biosecurity procedures and setting out recommendations to prevent something similar happening again was very disappointing. Industries are very reliant on the government running uh, the uh, best biosecurity program uh, for New Zealand uh, future livelihood as far as our agriculture and horticulture production. So uh, I was surprised to um, read and, and to understand that there had been some systems failures that could have resulted in the industry being exposed to risk. We talk about New Zealand having the best biosecurity system in the world, so obviously we need to, uh, government and industry, work collectively to ensure that is going to be the case going forward into the future. Barry O'Neill says estimates that PSA will cost the kiwifruit industry up to $1 billion over 10 years is likely to be way below the final cost. He says the lessons learned from PSA can't be ignored. I think as growers, if we had uh, implemented uh, biosecurity orchard measures in advance of PSA so that we uh, minimised plant movements onto our orchards, so that we cleaned uh, our um, pruning equipment and machinery that could um, introduce onto our orchards a, a risk. I think if we had that in advance, we probably would have been seeing far less PSA now than what we have uh, seen. So I think good uh, biosecurity or hygiene measures are a really important component for all industries, even if they don't uh, have a PSA that they're currently dealing with. So I think in hindsight, uh, we could have done better there. One way being advocated to improve biosecurity is government industry agreements, also known as GIAs. They're being negotiated between the ministry and various primary sector groups, which on the whole support the idea, but not necessarily the fine print. The agreements will detail how to prepare for and respond to biosecurity incursions by sharing the load and the cost. But Andrew Fenton from Horticulture New Zealand says the final agreement is still a fair way off. Half of our product groups, being the, and the, the bigger product groups, uh, have signed the MOU on for GIA. That's the Memorandum of Understanding, so they can actually then go sit around the table and, and negotiate uh, an, an industry agreement. I think there's quite a long way to go. To go, and the point I would make with that, a critical element of it is the growers or the sector's confidence in biosecurity at the border. Uh, they're only going to say continue and sign a GIA for for the cost after the border if they are confident with the protection at the border. Barry O'Neill from Kiwi Vine Health welcomes such agreements, but has reservations on the cost to the industry. 
the government industry agreements are all about a partnership where government and industry would collectively decide what uh, investment is needed in what areas. And I think that's a healthy process to go through as long as the impact on industries financially is uh, not uh, excessive and as, and as long as they can afford that. The difficulty any government has is there's, again, huge priorities, whether it's health or education or welfare, and what is invested in biosecurity as a result will depend on what the total priorities that the government has to consider are. The Ministry for Primary Industries, Andrew Coleman, says industry agreements work on the principle that it's better to prepare than to respond. The, the focus is around readiness and response. Um, uh, we now have a preference around the readiness area. The important part about having to respond is that you've actually got yourself prepared to respond. Um, so what we do by way of managing uh, the international engagement around standards, what we do around uh, border transaction management, uh, how we manage the risk profile at the border, the GIA readiness area is actually going to provide the opportunity for industries to play a role in that, unlike perhaps they perceive that they've played in the past. Dr Stephen Goldson heads B3, Better Border Biosecurity, a collaboration of three Crown Research Institutes and Lincoln University, and works closely with the Ministry. It focuses on providing better science to help combat biosecurity threats. There's a slew of work we're doing. A lot of it is about um, improving databases, uh, analysing risk, um, using technologies to detect the presence of invasive species. But I must emphasise that everything we do is in very close collaboration with our colleagues in MPI. There's absolutely no point in us doing scientific research if it's not of value to MPI. So it's very much a partnership. We're very much at the scientific research end of that. And some of our research is quite risky. Not all of it works out. But unless we do that, we can't really add value to what um, MPI is already doing. He says it's important to understand the diversity and vastness of the challenge of biosecurity. I believe we could spend the entire GDP in try on trying to intercept everything that might get into New Zealand. The challenge is to use what we have got allocated uh, for border biosecurity to, security to maximum effect. And it's our belief, and, I be, and we're connected to MPI in this, that a way to advance the quality of the biosecurity effort is through R&D, on the proviso that it's connected to what MPI really needs and wants. Jacqueline Roweth is Professor of Agribusiness at the University of Waikato's Management School. She says reprioritising resources to deal with biosecurity threats is all very fine, but it's the unknown that often causes the most problems. Bugs can attack different types of species. So you say our dairy, our cows are our most important um, animals, or our grass is our most important species in terms of pasture, and then you're not looking at something, some other uh, types of bugs that are in other countries, they get here and they think, oh, I haven't got any of the grass or the cows around, I'll attack something else. And you cannot predict that in advance. And I would be asking experts, the people who've been working in the industry for a very long time, where do you think the problems might be coming from? Stephen Goldson from B3 sounds another note of warning. He says research into potential threats is essential to protect this country, 
but further investment is needed in science and more encouragement for students to train the scientists. Biosecurity is necessary to maintain the capacity to generate wealth. You can argue huge numbers about the value of stopping massive disease infestations getting into New Zealand, but that's not always as convincing to economic analysis as, uh, say, creating new industries and businesses. But I keep saying, and all my colleagues are saying this, that unless you maintain the capacity to develop further and intensify and improve the quality of our primary industries and tourism by keeping pests and diseases out, we're going to be facing a very serious problem. Uh, If you look at the recruitment rate of undergraduates and graduates that are training in pest management and biosecurity, uh, the numbers are very low. I think they're below replacement rate of us baby boomers, actually. Jacqueline Roweth from Waikato University says the responsibility for protecting this country from biosecurity threats lies not only with government and primary producers, but the public as well. She says this is particularly so for urban New Zealand, where people possibly underestimate the value to this country of the primary sector. It's just under $300 for every New Zealander's back pocket each time the payout of milk solids goes up $1. And those sorts of understandings that we try to get through to people... And what would that mean if we got foot and mouth and had to put our dairy herd down? Well, it would be devastating. What would New Zealand be? Hmm, pretty, really third world. Actually, take away all that money. 70% of our export economy. I suppose we'd still have forestry. But it wouldn't be New Zealand as we know it. Horticulture New Zealand's Andrew Fenton says while no biosecurity system is perfect, he's feeling confident industry and government can work together to protect this country's vital export earners. There's a whole lot of checks and balances in there. And uh, you know, we, could, we, could, we did argue you know, that uh, it should be 100% x-ray, and certainly that is a, still a very, very good tool. But it's only one tool. Uh, the detector dogs, we'd love to have hundreds and hundreds of them. Um, but, and they're a wonderful tool, but for specific purposes. At the end of the day, the person looking at you between the eyes and making a judgment is still one of the best tools there. And if they can have that backed up with the intelligence that they gather from ITOC, then you've got a pretty damn good system. John Lancashire wants more openness in the biosecurity system in New Zealand. I think it's, you know, it's important that the general public understand, but it's certainly important that the industry uh, know why certain things are, are going on and why, why the precautionary principle appears to have been dumped. Uh, let, let's get some explanations behind this. Pressures are increasing all the time. Um, there's more trade, there's more freedom. There are countries out there which I think most people would agree don't actually conform to the really severe biosecurity precautions we take and the Australians take. But despite all that, we still have let in some very serious things in the last 12, 18 months. William Rolston from Federated Farmers says biosecurity can always be improved. We always want biosecurity to be better. We're never happy when there's a breach um, of, of biosecurity. Uh, we do recognise this as a risk game um, to make sure that you know, our biosecurities are the best biosecurities that we can possibly have. Some industry groups have signed memorandums of understanding on government industry agreements, but it's really only just the start of what could be a fairly lengthy, much-debated process. Last month, the government signed off on a five-year plan that includes a $70 million computer upgrade so agencies can share information on passengers in the hope of identifying any risks before they arrive. I'm Andrew McRae, and that's Insight for this week. 
If you'd like to contact us, you can send us an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or tweet us at rnz underscore insight.